our past uh, study in this precious epistle uh, that Paul never went down to the city of Colossae. He never visited it, but he had some emissaries who came to him uh, from that church and then some emissaries who also had never been to the church, that, but he is sending them back uh, to the church at Colossae. Uh, I want you, as you go through this concluding chapter, uh, to think about Paul's circumstances and what he was dealing with. Paul did not know whether or not the people he was dealing with at the time he'd ever see again. Paul, as you know, was in prison, and he had been imprisoned because he preached Christ to the Gentiles. The Jews were already upset with him for preaching Christ. But then he had the unmitigated goal, the temerity, to preach Christ to the Gentiles. So they were inter-racist as, as well as being outer-racist. Uh, they didn't want Christ in anything that they were dealing with. And so uh, it, it seems a little odd to me that you get angry with somebody who's preaching something that you say is false. If you think it's false, if you know it's false, why do you get upset? Just do like I do on some of the folks on TBN. I just change the channel before my blood starts to boil. But everything on TBN is not bad. That's some excellent teachers on TBN, but some of them are... Uh, so it just, it just occurs to me, these people are so angry. So they, they, they sent a mob out to arrest Paul and take him to jail. And the mob would have, the Bible says, they would have pulled him apart, limb from limb, had not the captain of the centurions intervened and spirited him away, and Paul ends up in prison, uh, and then in, Jer in Jerusalem, and then uh, he makes an appeal, because remember, Paul now is a brilliant man, speaks seven languages, but he's been trained also in the law by Gamaliel, and so he knows his rights as a Roman citizen, so he appeals to Caesar, he ends up in Rome. And while in Rome, in prison in Rome, Paul pens four epistles, the, 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 the epistle to the church at Colossae being one that we're studying about. Uh, and Paul then, uh, while there, spends his time doing two things, evangelizing and writing. He spends his time doing two things, evangelizing and writing. Now, Paul has a death sentence. He's on death row. This is not some overnight in the drunk tank. This is not some you forgot to have your license, forgot to have your insurance, and just you'll get out in a couple of days. He has a sentence of death. That's what's going to happen to Brother Paul if he doesn't win his trial before Caesar. And those of you who read ahead in the story know he doesn't win the trial, ends up being, being killed by Caesar. But that's the circumstance Paul is under. Now, because he's in jail, there are certain circumstances and situations, it's not a normal setting. Paul has with him certain people. Uh, and we're going to talk about several of them today. Um, so let, let's pick up where we kind of left off. Uh, so I know that Sister Susan last week talked to us about uh, those things in chapter 3, uh, that with, uh, how we live in everyday life uh, and that sort of thing and, and how we ought to change our clothes from being... Um, People of not of God and people of God. But today, Paul deals with a different situation because it is his 
concluding chapter. He knows this is the end of what he's writing to this church. It's uncertain whether he will ever speak to them or write to them again. And so it's important that he, 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 he specifically lets them understand what he's trying to get over to them. And so he picks up here, uh, we pick up here in verse four, but I mean, excuse me, chapter four, but the thought that Paul is trying to convey doesn't begin at uh, chapter four, verse one. Uh, because it's, 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 it's sort of out of context if you read it like that. Chapter 4, verse 1 uh, says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. I love that in Black History Month. <laughs> Abaragante for all you coming with your clothes on. Uh, I'm sorry, with your African attire on. People who are sinister and who are hypocrites use the Bible to justify the institution of slavery as practiced in the United States. I'm not being political because it's Black History Month. I'm trying to put the, 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 the scripture in context. But people... You, you, people do that now. People will try to use the Bible to justify their lifestyle, whatever that might be. Whatever you come up with, they'll they'll point you something in the Bible and say, "Oh, oh you you can't have all these women." Well, Abraham had a lot of wives, and you know, doggone well, that doesn't give you license to have uh, all these fifty eleven children and all these women. But people will use the Scripture to justify their lifestyle, even those who pretend that they are following the dictates of God, they find a scripture. Right. Women, come out of the pulpit. The Bible says don't suffer a woman to speak out of context. Right. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. So they use this verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, a lot in the South to justify slavery. Because when you back up to where Paul starts this thought, which is in chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with our service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. They use that to say to the slaves, you shouldn't complain when we're beating you and brutalizing you and having children by your wives and daughters. Don't because the Bible says you are to obey. Now, we all know that you can't read the, any text out of context. Anything that the Bible says one time is said 20 times somewhere else and you know what God means. He, he never gives you a license to sin ever. He then goes on to say, um, uh, which is the part I like, which is if you try to justify slavery, he catches you with the next phrase in verse 24 where he says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong, listen slave master, he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done and there is no respect of person. He says, the slaves, I'm not encouraging you to rise up and kill your masters, but masters, I'm also not telling you, you can't abuse your slaves. He said, because if you do, 
your recompense is going to be, you're going to receive wrong. Right? He said, I'm just telling you, he said, and whether the slave does it, there's no respected person, or the master does it, whoever is wrong is going to get punished. So you can't justify. He said, now, because of that, because you ought to live in a way that you have this institution that's set up, but you don't have to be, in a, be abusive in the relationship any more than you have to be abusive in a relationship with the husband and wife, where the Bible says, wives, be subject unto your husband. It doesn't give you license to be abusive. Paul says, therefore, semicolon, masters, verse 1, give unto your servants that which is just. Hold on, Paul, because it looks like you're making a reparations declaration here. Because just can't be zero, because y'all work Uncle Ben and Angie Mama and all of them for 450 years and then give them a quarter. He said, you can't do that. Why? Knowing that ye also have a master. Well, I love Paul. He will turn a phrase and catch you every time. You have a master in heaven. Look how your master is treating you. You don't deserve anything either. You're a slave under Christ. You're a prisoner of Christ, but he doesn't abuse you. Right? He doesn't take advantage of you. Right? And so Paul says, if you're going to really use the Bible to justify the institution, use the whole Bible, which would have required wages, and treating them right. Now, once you get past that and understand that it was never God's intention, never his intention to have the institution as we know it, never, then you start to feel a little better about the fact that you, because some people, met, those of us who were in college uh, in the 70s, ooh, Lord Jesus, back in the Old Testament, um, we, we, we got upset because people were using the Bible to justify segregation. And we got real bad, right? We knew better. All right. So this, this is how Paul starts off. Paul starts off his last letter. I just want you, to, want you to understand how important this is to the Lord. Paul starts his last letter to the church off talking about the master-slave relationship. Can you imagine if somebody told you the day, God forbid, this is your last day, write letters to all your people, how would you start, what would be your concern? You would sort of grade, you know, grade what you want to talk about because nobody's going to hear from you again. Paul decides to start it off by saying, I don't like what I'm hearing about how you masters are treating your servants. It's ungodly. You heard it from me, Paul. Stop it, as Bishop always says. Stop it. He says, because I want you to understand, masters, you can't do that because you also have a master in heaven. And did you notice that Paul capitalizes, and you got a Bible, a good Bible, a master in verse 4, chapter, verse 4, it's capitalized both places, right? So Paul, I just, it just, it just really blessed me uh, that Paul would start his letter off like that. Because you normally start off, or you're the concluding part, with what's important to you. And that's important to him, so it's important to God. Paul says, now, having established that, and by the way, did you notice something very subtle here? Paul is treating the masters and the servants or slaves as if they're in one body. He's not, he didn't write a separate letter to the servants because his assumption is they all are going to be together. Paul is a forward-thinking person. You'll see that later. And you'll see it very specifically 
uh, here. All right? So, so and send this tape to all your friends who don't come to church because they say that Christianity is a religion of, for, for, for white people. I don't know where they got that lie, but send this tape to them, okay? You have my permission. I'm going to give you my copyright just for this Sunday. Paul says, now, having established, my brothers and my sisters, that we're all in this together, master service, women, men, because he's, he's, he's taught on all this by now. He says, now, let's move to the next phrase and let's talk a little bit about prayer. Because remember, the, thematically, we're talking about spiritual disciplines for new life. I think that's your Sunday school title in the book. Spiritual disciplines for new life. So, Paul says, now, now I can talk about prayer, but I had to, as a preamble, deal with what I knew was situational ethics. Y'all heard that term? Depending upon where you are, would you? If people have situational ethics. Paul says, you can't have situational ethics. You have to act the same, be the same, no matter who you're in contact with. All right? You can no more treat a slave wrong than you could your neighbor. Paul, in his mind, considers slave just to be a designation of what a person does, but it doesn't change that you still can be in Christ. You're going to see that later. So Paul says, let me start off by telling you all how you should pray. Verse 4, I mean, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Paul says, um, um, I, I want you to um, continue in prayer. And what really he's saying is continue earnestly in prayer. Because he supported the Colossian church through his prayers for them. Never been there. Never met the whole the congregation. They didn't have a program at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when you're tired. Welcome to new pastors, new, new overseers. Oh, Jesus. It's 4 30, 5 o'clock. Y'all ain't appreciate it. He didn't have that program. Y'all, y'all familiar with those? Oh, yeah. Amen. Not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying I get tired. Um, so Paul said, I've never been there. He said, but I want you to continue in prayer. He says, this life in prayer uh, will allow you to continue to prosper, but you've got to stay vigilant. Say vigilant in prayer. Now, 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 please notice here that this ancient Greek word translated continue means being built on a root, meaning to be strong. Watch this. It always connotes earnest adherence to a person or thing. And in this passage, Paul is saying, I want you to be persistent and I want you to have fervor when you pray. <clears throat> Paul's saying, don't pray because you had a hard day. You worked all day. You hollered at the children. The children hollered at you. You had to cook. You had to clean. You had to wash. You had to, and then you lay down in the bed. And you're exhausted. And you're going back through your mind. All the folk you wish you had told off. And all the folk who told you off. And then you say, oh, Lord, I'm all asleep. Lord, I had a sleep night. So bless, bless me and my kids. And bless me and my family. And bless everybody. I need some money tomorrow and everything. And thank you, Lord Jesus. And, and now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep it. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen and amen. No, 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 no. Paul is trying to get you to have prayer as a lifestyle, which is not the same thing 
as you walk around all day talking to people in Scripture. That when the person at the checkout counter at Publix says, how you doing? You, whoop, hallelujah. No. Stop. We're not doing that. This life of prayer may be framed like this in parentheses. Live your life, parentheses, with everything about it in prayer, close parentheses. This is not talking about the method of prayer. A life of prayer is not about how you pray. It's that you pray. You pray about everything. As you're doing it, after you're doing it, when you're doing it, you're still praying. Right? Prayer should be for you what the dial tone used to be when we had landlines. Whether you are on the landline or not, there was always what? A dial tone. That's how your life should be in prayer. Whenever anybody picks up the phone, the receiver of your life, that should be a boom, that's prayer. I have prayed about everything. I'm praying about everything as I'm doing. But I'm not telling you that if you're standing before a class trying to teach in school that you pray. You got to teach as you have prayed. A life of prayer is a life where prayer becomes that vehicle that buoys you as you go through the day. It does not mean that you can't do anything else. When Paul says pray without ceasing, don't, that's hyperbole. He's not telling you you just all day long because you're going to get fired. Don't call me about LOL to file a discrimination suit. I'm not filing a discrimination suit. You should have been doing your job. Okay? Paul says, be, be earnest in prayer. He, he says, I want, I want this sort of prayer is important, but it doesn't come easy. It's, it's, it speaks of great effort. The word Paul's use, Paul uses is not an easy thing. He said, this is going to take effort for you to have a lifestyle of prayer. It takes effort. You cannot Google your problem as the first thing you do when you have an issue. Google is not God. We have a, we've gone to, we've gotten to a tendency now in our culture where everything, let me Google it. But let me pray about it. Now, be careful with this lifestyle of prayer because some of y'all use that as a cop-out. Because somebody says, hey, I left my wallet at home and I got to get, can you let me hold $10? Let me pray about it. No, you don't need to pray about that. Either you got the $10 or you don't, man. But you use it as a cop-out. You don't intend to get it folk the money. Right? That's not what he means. I have run into some people like that, and you have too, and it's highly irritating. Because I know you're not praying like that about every issue. Oh, there's a bug on my window. Should I kill a bug? Let me stop and pray. Oh, no, that's not what he's talking about. I, I tell you this, y'all laughing, but people do extreme things in the name of the Lord and end up all, you know, wackadoodle because they've done some extreme stuff. He's not saying that. He's not trying to get you to end up with a mental illness because you think you need to be praying Every second of every day. That's not what that means. Please don't do that. You pray when it's necessary and when it's necessary, always. But you don't have to articulate all the time, right? Now watch this. Um, 
uh, what what he what he then says about this this word of continuing prayer, that same word, uh, is translated now, stay woke. Y'all heard that phrase lately? Paul said, y'all need to stay woke. His, his request is um, that we pray all the time. And notice now that he directs this letter to the church at large. He's not writing to the pastor. Right? He's not writing to a bishop. He's saying, church body, everybody pray. All right? It's not an assignment that is just us. So we, we've been learning in the last few weeks of Wednesday Night Bible Study about the elements of prayer, how to pray, and the contents of prayer. And so I recommend to you, you get those slides. But, but there is a lifestyle of prayer that you can adopt. All right, let's go a little further. Um, and then notice, too, that Paul connects prayer to thanksgiving. So we got this kind of three-throw uh, rhythm going on, uh, intercession, watching, or being watched by being woke, and then thanksgiving. So you pray and you thank God that whatever you do with the prayer, God is up to you. All right? Look at verse 3. With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bond. Now, Paul here says that um, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something despite the fact that I'm an anointed apostle, the fact, the fact that I've met the Lord face to face, despite the fact that I have this anointing on my life to teach and to preach and to write, Paul said, pray for me. Spare me from people who are so talented that they don't need prayer. Deliver me from them. And if y'all know any of them, send me a text so I can avoid them. Because if you don't need prayer, I don't need to be around you. If you got it together that much, I don't want to be anywhere in your vicinity. I like the fact that Paul the Apostle asked the people in the pew to pray for him. You all sitting in this class and those of us who join us online, you got power in your prayer. When Paul can ask for prayer from you, from the congregants, it tells you how because Paul recognizes that his connection to God and your connection to God are the exact same. He's not ahead of you. He's not above you. He's not overlording you. It's the exact same. Anybody can deliver a word that will change your very life. The fact that we joined Hopewell was because we came here on the first Sunday in February in 2011 and Bishop was not preaching. We had said, if the church ain't good this Sunday, we're not coming back. Because the last two Sundays we've been, he wasn't here. But Elder Frazier, in all of her African garb, on first Sunday of February, 2011, preached the paint off the walls. Had never heard Bishop preach. Came back and been here ever since. I'm just telling you, everybody has a part to play don't put so much burden on the bishop, on a pastor, on an apostle. And don't try to act like because you have a title that somehow you and God move into some secret room and talk. And I can't go in there. The devil is a lie. Watch this. Paul says, he says, I want you to pray for me. And I hope y'all pray this prayer for your teacher. He says, 
uh, I want you to pray for me that a door might be open for us to speak the, uh, to speak the mystery of Christ, which I'm in by. Paul says, I'm going to get back in trouble. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I'm a recidivist. Paul says, I'm telling y'all, I know y'all praying that they let me out. Thank you. But if they let me out, I need y'all to know, I'm going to go right outside the jailhouse and set up church. I don't know anything else. Paul says, there's another place, woe unto me if I don't preach Christ. So he said, I want y'all to know, I don't want you to be disappointed when they tell you I got out and went back in the same day. I'm a recidivist. What? what? Paul is in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, when I get out of jail, guess what I'm going to do after I have a good meal and a good bath? The next thing I'm going to do is to preach Christ. I love that. I'm not anywhere trying to be like Paul. That zeal, that kind of commitment, that kind of devil-may-care attitude, I lay it all on the line for Jesus. I'm so impressed with Apostle Paul. Because he knows that, and by the way, Paul is not writing this letter and dictating it to, to, to Titius. You'll find out later, uh, that's who, who wrote it down for him. He's saying this out loud. Hey, y'all, the guards are chained to him. So he said, hey, you want to tell something on me? Run and tell that. <laughs> tell your people. Paul said, if he gets out, meet him downstairs because he's going to preach again. People of God, we have to have that kind of zeal. There is nothing the world can offer me that's going to make me stop preaching Christ. Paul says, I pray for this door. In the Bible, you see a door, you see a window. A door always means opportunity. A window means vision. He says, uh, pray God will open the door so I can speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, notice that uh, as I ought to speak for you ministers in attendance, Paul saying, I don't want to just be saying words. I want my ministry to be effective. Uh, 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 preachers in here, listen, just because you have a nice cadence and a nice voice and a nice rhythm, you could be just like the prophet James Brown said, talking loud, you ain't saying nothing. Paul says, here's what I want you to pray for me. He said, but, but when, I, when I talk, I talk like what I ought to say. I'm not trying to mimic Pastor T.D. Jakes. I'm not trying to mimic Juanita Bynum. I'm not, oh, bad example. I'm, I'm just trying to preach what I ought to preach for the cause of Christ. Not so that you can go tell people around the country, ooh, that Paul is somebody's preacher. It's not my purpose. I got to win souls. I got to get people converted. My mission is to win people to Christ I'm not trying to build a Pauline empire. That's right, that's right. I'm not, by the way, I didn't say if y'all pray me out of here, I'm going to come to Colossae. I'm going to come to Ephesus. I'm going to come to Galatia. I'm going to stay in Italy. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm not. I'm going to start preaching. Now watch this. Uh, Paul says, uh, I want to make sure that what I'm saying to the people makes sense. Now, here's what we we learn when you step back from this, and that is that we spend way too much time witnessing the Christians. Have y'all noticed that? That's true. 
<laughs> we spend way too much time <laughs> witnessing to Christians. All right. If you watch Christian television, it's designed for Christians. Right? Because if you start talking to somebody about money before they know who Jesus is, you lose them. They'll turn you off. We spend far too much time. Don't raise your hand. When is the last time you witnessed to somebody who was not a Christian? Now, talk about not a church member. If you can't say amen, look at me. Yeah, you know why? We don't do it. No, I'm not, I'm not exempting me. I'm just telling you, we get off kilter sometimes. Because you talk to people, you want people to talk back and say the same thing. Get in this little echo chamber. Yeah, say it, brother. Yeah. And then, but, but the cause of Christ is not going forward. So Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. In other words, who are not in the body. Redeeming the time. Paul says, when you do it, do it quickly. Do it smoothly. Do it in a way that makes sense. Don't get so esoteric. Don't, don't, don't be doing exegesis and eisegesis. Just tell them, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is God's son. God raised him from the dead. If you believe that, you'll be saved. If they can't get those basic, basic tenets, then the reason you to start trying to get deep in this other stuff. You got to win them to Christ first. My grandma always said, you got to catch a fish before you clean the fish. All right, now watch this. Watch what happens next, because now Paul is going to tell you how to do that. Say how to do that. He said, I want you to walk in wisdom to those who are outside the body. I want you all to understand your Christian life isn't only lived at your house in your prayer closet. Your Christian life is in the arena. It's among people. Paul converted some Roman guards. Paul was such a powerful preacher that he and Silas got locked up another time and the guard said, can I get saved, me and my whole household? That's on the penalty of death. That's the kind of effective preaching you have to be. And by the way, just so you all know, those who are in the class who are ministers, Paul didn't have on a collar, a robe, or any other insignia. He didn't have a big old Mr. T looking cross around his neck. Because if people have to see your jury to figure out you're saved, you might want to go back and come again. If people have to see your clothing, if your attire is what makes people know you're saved, you might want to check yourself. Because something's off here. If I got to dress up as a preacher, you're just playing dress up. Right? So Paul says, uh, I, I want you to, do, uh, Paul says, uh, uh, I want you to Get outside your prayer closet. Get outside of Hopewell. Get outside of your family reunion. Get, and, and start talking to some people who you know they aren't, don't know the Lord. All right? Now, some people think that means getting on a bus, going down to a shelter. No, no, no. People you come in contact with all the time. Because most of you in here look very successful to me. At some point, somebody's going to say to you, Wow. I'm so impressed with you. You always got yourself together. Don't you say, <laughs> yeah, you know, I graduated number three in my class. No, brother. That's the time you say it's all about God. Now, don't get sanctimonious about it and start saying, yeah, everything I do is God. Where I got my eyebrows done, that's God. 
The way my shoe is. No, nobody tell you crazy. Just a normal God that blesses me every day. I'm here because of God. Right? Be normal. Touch your neighbor, tell him that. Touch him online and tell him too. Now here's the other thing Paul is teaching us about how we do this. How we deal with people who are not churched and are not church folks. We have a problem with that, y'all, as you know. Because we don't, have no, we don't know where to start. That, that's what happens most times. We don't know how to engage, right? Because we're so used, we're so used to being churchy. Because uh, it tells you you spend too much time around church people. Because you don't know how to start a conversation with somebody who's not churched. Right? Right? So Paul says, Paul says do it like this. Paul says, <clears throat> let your speech, your conversation, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Paul says, when you run across somebody who is not saved, let your speech be kind. Not what y'all do. Oh, you, you live with that girl and y'all are not married? You want to get saved? I don't know what that means. Well, can y'all both go to hell in? Wait a minute. Y'all know folk who do that? If it's you, don't say it. Point to the person next to you. We do that. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. We do that. We'll send you to hell in a minute. If you don't agree with us, if you don't want to come to Hopewell, if you don't want to be a Christian today, and we, and we really get upset if, we, if it takes more than one time. You got to go back and go back and keep writing, and keep sending scripture. And then you send people scripture who don't know what that is. What, what is this? You say, oh, it's from the Bible. So I don't read the Bible. Who we get? You don't read the Bible. Oh, how come I'm the chicken? Oh, how come you want No. That's not, that's not grace. No. Pastor Brenda Wolf, you know that. You, you, you pastor a long time. That's not grace, is it? No. Be careful with this. Paul says, you know, grace and salt, which is wit. I know sometimes people get upset with me because I use wit. It's because I got to be on the level where people are. I can't. All this high sounding stuff, um, all this erudite speaking, they'll say nobody. He said, you know, but, but salt, a little wit, a little humor, uh, something to bring people in. Uh, salt, as you know, is a preservative. Um, salt sometimes can purify. Uh, but just do it. Uh, because nobody likes bland food. You ask anybody who's ever been in a nursing home, their first complaint, these people don't put no seasoning in their food. They can't, honey, because you can't have all that salt. <laughs> but <laughs> get me out of here. Go to Popeye's and bring me something. Sneak it in the place. Why? It lacks seasoning. It, you want to know, preacher, you want to know evangelist, you want to know missionary, you want to know regular people, why people don't respond to you, because your speaking doesn't have any seasoning. If you ever been in anybody's house who can't cook, most of their problem is they don't know how to season the food. Don't invite me back because I'm not coming back over there. Everything you cook tastes like lettuce. <laughs> Gracious speech is important. And the last four minutes, I want to go through this last part because it's important. Um, <clears throat> because if you go back and read this, um, 
uh, 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 verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. You may know how you ought to answer every man. It lets you know that God is concerned both <clears throat> about our personal prayer life and our interaction with the world. You're not going to get by by you being perfect and you never reach out to anybody. Okay? Not going not gonna, to not gonna happen. <clears throat> now watch this last part. <clears throat> Excuse me, because it really blessed my soul. Uh, starting at verse 7. All of my state, Satitius, declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. This blesses me because Atticus was with Paul when he was on his second missionary journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. Um, he's mentioned five times in the Bible, sometimes more than disciples. He's a native of Asia Minor, which is Turkey. And since it's Black History Month, you want to Google how Turkey people look, people from Turkey look, go look at him, he's brown. Um, and he was with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. But notice here that Paul entrusts to him to tell the people back in Colossae everything Paul told him. Watch your circle of friends. Watch people who you rely on and depend on. Um, be careful with them because it's important that they carry the message of you correctly and that you can trust them. Everybody's got this tight circle. Batman had Robin. Uh, Fred had uh, Skillet and Leroy um, and Grady. Uh, you got to watch your circle, keep your circle of friends. You got to be like last night and have just like three pips who you know, I don't have to look back. I know they're doing what I want them to do. Right? He said, this, this, this boy that I met uh, who came to Christ through my teaching, he said, I trust him with my word. I, 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 I know that if, 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 I, if I have you talk to George Warnsby, I don't have to worry about what George is going to say. I know him. I trust George. Right? Y'all got the people like that where you just did down with you like full flat ties? You, I mean, these are your people. he said, I, I've just met this man. But I've come to love this guy because I can see in him what God is doing. And watch this. He said, I want him to, I want, I'm going to give this letter to him to bring to y'all. I trust him. Now watch this because it's going to bless you in Black History Month. He says, and I'm sending him back with you. I've sent him to you the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. I'm going to let him teach what I've taught to you. Now watch, he said, and guess who I'm sending with him? I'm sending Onesimus. Y'all, Black History Month, Onesimus was a slave. Go read Philemon. I'm sending back to the church a man I know y'all know with a slave that I just met who I converted to Christ because I'm trying to teach his master Philemon something. Where did you all get the idea that God condoned the institution of slavery as we know it? Paul says, I'm treating Onesimus and Titus as equal equals. He says, here's what I want to know about this slave. He's a faithful and beloved brother. What? Who is one of you. You don't say. He's one of you. They shall make known unto you all the things which are done here. Listen to the slave. When he tells you about what happened every day in this prison. The slave. Paul says, I love this man. I converted him to Christ and I love this man and y'all got to love him too. We're, we're done. 
I, I just want to tell you, he goes through the rest of chapter four, listing people who have come into his life, who've been consistent in their persistent pursuit of the gospel. May I recommend to you that you include in your circle of friends those who are persistent and consistent about the gospel and those who you can trust with your word and you trust and they trust you with theirs. And may I recommend unto you that you keep that circle tight, right? Because not everybody, your color is your kind. Bishop said that, I didn't say that. But Titus, and, and I like this list, that's why your, your name not in the Bible, Archers, and all these fellow prisoners, Marcus, Mark's sister's son, a Barnabas, Paul lists people, and in your life, you ought to be able to list some people who not only are your good friends, but who are purveyors of the gospel, and that you know that you trust them with the very words of life. Y'all be blessed. See you next week. Sorry for going over one minute.